Admiral Sati has left the Enterprise. You think we've come so far? Torture of heretics, burning of witches, all ancient history. Then, before you can blink an eye, suddenly it threatens to start all over. Yesterday, people will not be so ready to trust her. Maybe. But she, or someone like her, will always be with us, waiting for the right climate in which to flourish, spreading fear in the name of righteousness. Vigilance, Mr. Wolf. That is the price we have to continually pay. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever your temporal location, as you listen to this wonderful upcoming episode of Trek This Out, whereupon we discuss and review Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 4, Episode 21, The Drumhead. Uh, my name is Steve Davis. Uh, you are sharing this wonderful time with us because The Drumhead is my favourite episode. And, and to share my view, or disagree vociferously with me, uh, we have, of course, the wonderful Suki. Hello. And Drew. Hello. E equally wonderful, I should say. The, the wonderful was for both you of them. You don't have to say <laughs> that if you don't want to. You know, I, we, I perfectly understand if you don't want to say wonderful Drew. Well, he is wonderful. You are wonderful. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank good you, Pans. Well, well, and and uh, yeah, seeing as this is one of those big moral episodes, we sh should all be in very good behaviour, shouldn't we? Very polite and uh, no no moustache twirling or anything. It's going to be very polite and wonderful on this episode because now Deb. Whoa, bonus. I, I don't quite know what to do with the extra half an hour that we're probably going to have where we edit out all the swear words. It's going to be fantastic for me because I know the editing is going to be smooth. We've made it through the intro without any interruptions. That's oh, it. We're I... already winning. <laughs> well, I'm sure she'd have some strong views, uh, although I think she has put some um, some feedback for, for later on as well, hasn't she? So we'll we'll find out whether she's a wise sage or, or a, a Nora Satie with jumping to the wrong conclusions. Um, so uh, let's crack on, shall we? Um, let's do some initial thoughts about this episode. Uh, Drew, do you want to start us off? Okay. My initial thoughts is this is excellent, superb, brilliant. I like that. Succinct to the point. Fantastic. And you're correct as well, in my humble opinion. Suki, your first thoughts. 
Or shall I go into a monologue and just carry on going for another five, 10, 15 minutes? No, well, because this was excellent. It was superb. Uh, cracking episode kept my attention all the way through. And I just think you great. Yeah, I mean, I, I firmly agree. In fact, when I rewatched this one with um, the present Mrs. Davis, we both said at the end of it, wow, that feels like, like it was just about 10 minutes. It was so tight and, and well paced. Uh, and it just flew by. Did you guys feel the same? Yeah, you know, I whenever I go on a uh, a flight or something or a long train journey, I always download three episodes of TNG and my three favourite ones, and this is one of them. And it's precisely because of that, because you watch it, and before you know it, it's over. It feels like it flies by. Yeah, what do you reckon, Suki? Same? Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think I've seen this episode <clears throat> since uh, I initially watched it back in when he was first shown on BBC One or BBC Two, um, and so I can't remember too much about it. But when I came back to a review for this uh, for the, the podcast, I, it was uh, an episode that, as Drew says, it just flew. It just you you just you sat and you got immersed with the characters, Patrick Stewart as uh, Picard in that courtroom scene he's acting opposite gene simmons and when she gene simmons goes on to her little rant uh i just think that was superb drama and it, the tension was there it's just great i mean why why have you picked this why is it your favorite so one of the things uh, so i'm a, a head teacher and one of the things uh, I like to pretend when I'm doing my head teaching is that I am a starship captain. Schools are a bit like a starship. There's all sorts of things going on, random stuff happening. And you've got to sit in your chair or walk the corridors and kind of uh, pass judgment on lots of things. He hit me. She hit me. She stole that. I did all that stuff. And you sort of have to. Blimey, dispense. I thought Deb was in the house then, just said. <laughs> And you just have to kind of somehow reach these decisions uh, for which you've never got all the information that you might ideally want. And um, and this episode always strikes me as the one that's closest to what can go wrong if you start really jumping to quick conclusions and swiftly dispense justice. But it's just always spoken to me because I think it's bigger than that as well, right? It's about um, individual freedom and the role the state has in dispensing power and justice and you know, whether we should be held accountable for mistakes and to what extent, all that stuff. I, I love all these big issue ones. Uh, I, I, could, um, I always think about this one in League with Measure of a Man, the, the one where Data's being sort of put on trial, whether he's a, a person or not, a sentient being. Um, so that would always be one of my uh, other ones to go to. Drew, I'm interested in what your other two of your three episodes that you pick are. Then, what, what, Which ones do you go for if, when, when you're travelling? This one? Yeah, always three. Drumhead cause and effect I, I love time travel ones and i mean that is and groundhog day isn't it i mean it's just excellent time travel groundhog day now number three is possibly a bit controversial but i i really love it and that is remember me yeah oh i love that that bit where she goes um uh, she's quizzing the computer about what where the universe has gone and the computer goes well there's there's something wrong with the state of the universe then it's not a problem yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a great episode good well i thought we might give ourselves a little bit of structure to this discussion and um i've gone for three quotes because i think one of the great things about this episode is there's some real meaty quotable bits in it um so i thought i might kick us off with a a quote um from bit of the 
episode and we'll see where that conversation takes us. What do you reckon? Yeah, yes. sounds good. You are in charge, Steve. You crack on. I'm driving this ship. Yes. Off it. Right, okay, so here's the first one. It gives me a chance to do a good, uh, good bit of speechifying as well. <clears throat> uh, this bit comes uh, right at the end of the episode, actually, when Picard says, You know, there are some words I've known since I was a schoolboy. With the first link, the chain is forged. The first speech censored. The first thought forbidden. The first freedom denied. Chains us all irrevocably. Those words were uttered by Judge Aaron Satie as wisdom and warning. The first time any man's freedom is trodden on, we're all damaged. It's a fantastic speech, right? But I was going to do it, Dev, and just interrupt you halfway through. But I thought to myself, I better not, because this is one of those speeches where you do need to listen to uh, what is actually being said. It's the way Picard, well, Patrick Stewart says it. Um, the way it's been uh, shown on the screen, because it's like a slow pan around him as it's been shown. And that's Jonathan Frakes. That is Jonathan Frakes. And it is, it's been directed. It just stands out as a highlight of the episode. Yeah, well, we're talking about interrupting. I, I always think on this, when Sati sort of actually starts interrupting him, what what's he going to say? Because he starts saying, and when... Yeah. Yeah, I what was he going to say? We would have had a bit more of of these uh, monologuing, wouldn't we? We're yeah. never going to find out, are we? We'll never know. Uh, but that shows, of course, how much she's lost it, right? She, um, she that, and that's her big downfall right at the end. And that's one of the criticisms of this episode. I don't share it, but one of the criticisms of this episode is that uh, it all just ends so suddenly. We've got this wonderful, sort of powerful admiral, and then just in a blink of an eye, she loses it totally and falls apart, and and it all ends really quickly. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't mind. I personally don't mind it because I think that's how it kind of works in real life anyway. All of a sudden, everything falls apart. But do you think it's a fair criticism that it all ends too quick? Well, I was just thinking why it did end so quick. I mean, she must have been under pressure from someone else happening in her life. And she's decided to focus on this case and just decided, I'm going to make sure uh, Simon Tarsus is punished to the, the fullest extent of, of the law. And she carries on and carries on. But when she's sort of reminded that her father was a just and fair man, and she decides, uh, she, she, she sort of loses it. I can understand what happens, but I do think there must have been something else going on in her life. I mean, if any of the novels decide to uh, bring out a bit of a backstory on her, there might be something there, but at the moment, I don't know, but I can understand what happened. She she says herself, she says, I've got no friends, no family, but I have got a purpose. I mean, she she's built a whole personality around doing this kind of thing, hasn't she? So, so that that's why she's so obsessed with it. But yeah, just going back to your original question, though, Steve, I I can remember it like younger me watching this, or certainly when I first watched this, not really understanding the bit at the end. So I definitely can see where people are coming from, you know, not not realizing what happened at that point when the admiral is it Thomas Henry is it walks yeah. out. I, I certainly didn't get that, but I think over repeated watchings and and now under and certainly once you you learn what's happened, you know, or that's the end of it, it, it does make a lot more sense. But yeah, it's it's that definitely in the past has struck me a bit weird how it's not really explained. You know, but maybe if he'd said, "Oh no, that's it, enough of this now," then it it kind of might have made more sense. But 
Is it just me? He doesn't say any lines in this, does he? Or is there, he have like a cheap job on on uh, the production? No, you can't say anything. You just got to sit there and look good. He's probably just a glorified extra, wasn't he? Oh, we'll 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 put you on uh, on the episode, but you've got no lines, but you are going to be, you know, on screen or the for the last five ten minutes or whatever it is. He's credited though, right? He, the actor he, gets a credit. Earl Billings, so it must have cost him. I know, I know, you do get um, do you get cheaper? Don't you for for extras just having to? Yes. I think he. Is, I think he is a like an actor guy. I think he's a proper person. But I think. But you you touched there on um on Satie. I I think she, there's something obviously tremendously frightening, but tremendously sad about her as well. Yeah, that speech where she says, "Yeah, I've got no friends. This is this is the whole thing I live for." And and she come out of retirement, right? She's been retired for a few years, so she's clearly she's lost her purpose. And now she's trying to refine it. And those are really dangerous people, right? Where they've got they've got the power, um, but they've got no context within which to operate it. You know, she's got no links. She's got no connections. Nobody's really calling out her BS. That she's just a, a, a maverick, just going out and doing her own thing, which you know, those people are frightening. And the thing there as well, it's her own downfall. It is. It's because she makes a rod for herself by making it a kangaroo court basically you know having all this audience there and when she'd have lost it when there's only about two or three of them there you know like uh Riker, picard and the witness and maybe wolf she loses it then she could just sweep it under the bridge sweep it under the carpet i should say and then but because there's so many people there she can't she realizes straight away you can see it in her face that she's stepped stepped over the line and it's now gone from being a fair court courtroom to uh, one where it looks like it's a witch witch hunt, and she's realised she's she just gone that little bit too far. Well, not a little bit. She basically jumped a mile. Yeah, the, the that's something I wanted to talk about actually. The the fact that the uh, the inquiry or whatever you want to call it, he's, he's got an audience, hasn't it? I, and that's it. Weird. There's a lots of. Patrick Stewart really good reactions in this episode. It's nothing that makes it so good, you know. He's a lot of the times he's just his face reacting to stuff. And one of the big ones is when he first walks into the inquiry, and he sees the all the people there, and and then he goes up to Satie and he says, "Oh, you know," whispers to her, "What what's going on? You know, why is this open to the public?" And she goes into a rant about spies and saboteurs don't like the light. And, and all this but who are the people that have come to watch simon tarsis getting grilled he's like oh yeah let's go down and watch simon getting raked over the coals here yeah that'll be good i mean aren't these people meant to be more evolved 23rd 24th century people you know what well, what, what who would go and watch that yeah, like the equivalent of a sort of a mob, a baying mob watching a hanging, right? But I think I think there is mates. That's my that's my thing. They've gone there to support him, to show him he's got some some people on his side. Because uh, he's clearly such a lovely guy, isn't he? He's just a shy, introverted guy who just wanted to get into space, and all this stuff's been dropped on him. I'll talk about him in a bit, but like this, he's just such a nice character. The people in the court, as he says, there might be his mates, but at the same time. Once they find out that he's a Romulan, they've also got maybe have got some back uh, stuff going on where they've had a history uh, dealing with the Romulan conflict, and so they've they've come to uh, basically back up the admiral and say, look, that could also be there for that reason as well. 
if um and i know we've all been spoiled for this episode because we've seen it a few times or you know certainly saw it a long time ago when we don't really really remember when do you think it first becomes apparent that sati is a roman what's the point where you think as an audience because she's certainly not brought in as that is she she smiles off the transporter lots of let's just get on with it you know looking forward to being your partner all that stuff what's the point where you think oh no she's not right what do you reckon drew I, well, it's quite early in it, actually. It's I, I think it's it, she she becomes all snidey with Picard. They're meant to be working together, and it's right at the beginning where Picard says to her, "Oh, um, does Starfleet know anything else about Romulan and Klingon connections?" And she says, "Oh, I don't believe it's my place to let you know what Starfleet knows or does not." I mean, that's right at the beginning there that mm. you like go, oh hold on a minute you're meant to be working together to find out what's going on and she just descends further and further down from there okay so my, as i said my history with this is that i initially saw this many 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 years ago and then i watched it for the podcast now because i already knew that sati was going to be a rungan uh, i'm already looking for looking for uh the faults in her character and as drew said it was quite early on where she starts getting these little digs in or uh, or comments that she's making. So I knew she was a bad one. So I I can't go around commenting on when you thought she was, because it's already been sport for me, because I know what the history of this episode. How about you? Can you remember when you saw thought that she was a bad one? I think I start. I, I don't think I picked up on the when I first watched it, the one that you did, Drew. That is the first one. I think you're right. But I think I started going where, and this probably says more about me. I'm not saying this is necessarily an automatic you're a wrong one, but the bit where she is so uh, still so powerfully affected by um, the legacy of her father, like she's um, and she's talking about the dinner table and and how she had to. You know, hold her own and, and she becomes really quite emotional about her dad's influence on her and and I'm sort of thinking well hang on you're 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 of a certain age you know I'm, I'm guessing you know she's had a well she's retired right so she's already had a long successful career in her own right and and she's still getting that emotional about the memory of her father and his and, and not about the times that he would you know play with her or whatever but about the times that he effectively turned their dinner table into a bear pit uh, and and that's um that's a bit grim and i thought wow you're you're really um you really shouldn't still be holding on to this at this point in your life you know uh, nothing wrong with remembering your, your ancestors with honor and, and and fondness but for for that still to be still so live for her uh, and, and of course uh, and i think probably we're meant to think that picard savvy individual that he is has picked up on this and um, and then by the time he actually drops that nuke on her, like, I, and I like to think that I think this is peak Picard, right? I think that at any point he could have absolutely ruined her with that, but he chose to try and you know talk her out of it and be upfront. And it was only when she went where she went with um, the Borg that he was like, right, fine, that's it. I gave you a chance. Now I'm going to end this. And, and he didn't want to hurt her, but it was the only way of stopping it. Yeah, yeah, may, maybe. I don't know. He, he, I just think through uh, a lot of it, Picard seems to be just really genuine with her. He just seems to be like thinking, he comes over across that he's just trying to genuinely help her. But it's, it's the bits with Simon Tarsis, though, isn't it? It's, it's that is the turning point when she, uh, when, when, um, 
what's the guy's name Sabin says oh he's lying and then that that's the turning point and I really like the bit where um they they go back to his uh his room and he's saying about oh I I I don't think that we should stop Simon from being able to do stuff just on a Betazoid's feelings. And Sati sort of starts, and she's really good. She comes back, like from her bear pit you're talking about. It's almost like around the dinner table. She comes back with some logic. She says, oh, you've got a Betazoid. Would you not use them? If they said someone was dangerous, would you not go on that evidence? And in... Picard capitulates straight away, like the good man that he is. She's going off on one, and she the uh, the fact that she's using the better beat bit better zoids beta zoids. How do you say it? Uh, it depends which beta said you're from. There's yeah, you're right. Beta zoid, beta zoid. All right, so she they're using the beta zoids to sense other people's feelings and then judging these characters on those feelings. Now, you've got the two different people here, uh, Satine and Picard, the way they interpret the, their their own Betazoid's findings out on, on the person that they interviewed. Whereas Satine will use it as a weapon and go after them, Picard will use it as a starting off point to find out if there is actually any truth. Now, that's what you call the, the difference between the two characters. Right, Satine uses it as uh, his character as a number, uh, as a the start, and this is the truth. And she will you follow that up because she believes in that uh, Beta, Beta Zoid's uh, findings 100%, without regard to the fact that this might not be no proof whatsoever uh, in, in what he's saying. So she she's already flawed there in her logic. Uh, and I think this, it's just the the way she do, comes across, she comes across as a really troubling character straight off there. Yeah, I mean, this is ultimately the the thing that's wrong with her, isn't it? She She's just, she's not got any evidence, but she thinks there's conspiracy. So when, when they find out that the, the accident was actually like a, a failure of the, the equipment, and she says, well... That might be the case, but that doesn't mean that there's not a conspiracy here. And when she's talking to Picard about Simon, and he and he says to her, "Well, I, I don't want to go on just the uh, Betazoid's feelings. If only there was clear evidence." And she says, "Well, there will be clear evidence." She she's just continually throwing out accusations and trying to find the evidence to fit her faults, rather than. Presuming someone's innocent and until proven guilty with evidence, mm. and 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 this this is where this is where she's just completely wrong, isn't it? And and that's where and that's where if you if this is a sort of a dichotomy between Picard and Stati, two presented in opposition, you're both powerful figures. Picard's got his starship, Stati's the the admiral with all the, the administrative power. Yeah, the point at which in in exactly that discussion that we talked about, where she says, "Well, you use your Betazoid like it, don't you?" And he goes, "Yes." And and instead of saying yes, and that's it, and I'm going to do that, he goes. Hmm, and maybe I should review that practice or that behaviour or whatever he says. And that's the difference, isn't it? You know, when you present Picard with potentially something he's doing that's a bit shady, he goes, actually, yeah, no, you're right. That's a bit, I should look at that. Whereas she's like, no, double down, 
through again we go. You, know, you don't need any more evidence or, or, or we'll find the evidence to suit the crime if we have to. And, and that's uh, in a way that that's because of where they are in their existences, right? I mean, perhaps Picard in the Picard series that, that's just been done, perhaps he might react. He's looking for a purpose in that one. And perhaps he might not be so, he's not quite presented so wonderfully in that ser uh, series, is he? He's, his chickens have come home to roost, literally with his son and whatever. Not literally, that's not a chicken, but you get what I mean. Uh, but but Satie, she's there now, right? In this episode, her glorious purpose has gone. She is no longer a, a Starfleet, a, a, an active Starfleet Admiral. She's bounced, I interpret, these shuttlecraft trips that she's going on for the past four years. She's looking for a purpose. She's spoiling for a fight. And, and you know, when you go looking for it, you can find it. Yeah, I mean, what what is the end game with her here? Is is what I what I just wonder. I mean, you spoke about you know when Picard goes into his wonderful monologue, and that that's just after you know she said about oh you've broken the Prime Directive nine times, and he says well I've reported that all to Starfleet, and she says again really snidely yes we're gonna have a a good look at that, and then she starts listing the. Uh, the Borg and how many thousands of people have died and how many ships have been destroyed and says, you know, how can you, I, I don't understand how you could probably sleep at night. And and that's when he's, he's holding his head uh, and then goes into the, uh, into the great monologue. We all know Picard isn't a baddie, don't we? You know, what is she going to do? They just keep throwing accusations until something sticks. I mean, there, there was no conspiracy what more can you do? You can't trump up evidence, can you? The end game, I think, for her is she's trying to live up to her father's ideals and her father's uh, reputation. She knows what her father's done in the past and he's left a mark. I mean, if Picard is quoting from her father, uh, at the end, he must have been like a powerful and well-loved figure. So she's there trying to live up to her. And as uh, Steve says, they had the bear pit. Uh, around their dinner tables where she, they're being pitted against each other and the kids are all being pitted against each other. So she wants to be a winner. So all this is basically her finding that point in her life where she can say, look, this is my mark. I've made this. I've found this conspiracy theory. I've managed to stop Simon Tarsus, the great big spy, and put him away in prison. And then I've helped uh, do all this stuff. And uh, so this is why I think this is what her end game really is. Yeah, Picard says that um, he, her dad's readings or, or work is required reading at the academy, doesn't he? So we we know how big it is. I can't imagine any of her work is going to be a required reading at the academy anytime soon. Not anymore. No. But another another bit I really like at that end, just before he does his speech, is is when uh, Sabine starts also says dragging Wolf down in it. It's another one where it's just trying to get everyone. But that that bit where he says about oh do you do I do you think it's very sensible having a uh, a head of security whose father colluded with the Romulans, and then, and when a uh, Wolf gets up that bit where a. Uh, Patrick Stewart or Picard just says Lieutenant and just the merest, merest like one or two degrees of a shake of his head is enough to just get Wolf to sit down again. What an excellent scene that was. Again, that scene was fantastic because Wolf has fully gone on board with Satine's ideals and 
uh, accusations and he's going after uh, Simon Tarsis uh, and whatever else has actually been happening on the ship until he realises that he's actually going to be one of the people accused. And he goes, well, that can't be right. I'm, I'm not a bad guy. I'm a good guy. I know what I've, what I've done and I've got the reasons for why I've done it. But why, and because of the Klingon temperament that he had, he ain't going to just sit back. He has to react. And it's a good job Picard really is there to be able to stop him from getting up and just strangling the poor woman. I'm always reminded of the bit in um, uh, the movie First Contact where Picard is you know, just before he goes off and smashes his little ships in the ready room and he's, he insults Worf. He goes, you're afraid, you coward. And Worf walks up to him and goes, if you were any other man, I would tell you where you stand. And I'm thinking, yeah, that, that guy saving there, he, is, he doesn't know how close he's come to having his spine ripped out at that point. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, well, actually, OK, so this brings us nicely on to my second quote, uh, which is, uh, uh, again, fairly, in fact, right at the end of the episode, it's where Wolf and Picard are speaking and, and they're talking about Sati. And uh, Picard says, she or someone like her will always be with us, waiting for the right climate in which to flourish spreading fear in the name of righteousness. Vigilance, Mr. Worf, that is the price we have to continually pay. Uh, and that links to what you were just saying, Asuki, about you know, Worf suddenly realises that you know, he was next. Uh, if Sati was, and Sabin and, and Nellan they were given their way, they would just go uh, a witch hunt throughout the whole ship until they found what they wanted to find to justify their own existences. But, but uh, my, I guess my question is, 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 that, is there always somebody like that around? You know, uh, do we have to be constantly vigilant? Is this, is this episode like a big warning to us all? Or, or is it a nice little bottle episode with, 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 contained in its own little moral universe? What do you reckon, Drew? Oh, she, she's a bad moral, isn't she? It's a long line of Starfleet bad morals. If you get a, a, an admiral in, it's two to one, it'll be a bad moral. So that, that's the trouble there, isn't it, really? Yeah, there probably are a few more out there, but at least it's one vanquished, isn't it? Yeah, but the um, but the, the drumhead trial thing, right? That's a real thing in history. That, that stuff happened, right? Um, so uh, I just wonder whether... You know, we're not quite as, as if, well, like he says, we're not as evolved as we think we are. You know, we just, we, we're, what do they always say? We're three meals away from chaos or something. You know, you never can tell. Suki, what do you think? I think this was written when America had already got uh, McCarthyism, McCarthyism out of the yeah, way, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, they'd had their witch hunts back in the 50s. And then 30 years later, they had all this, uh, they decided to write an episode that highlighted that sort of process. Uh, so they, they've got this history within America and probably we've got it in the UK somewhere as well. Uh, and um, there's going to be always stuff that is going to happen. and People will jump on the wagon and they will follow the, uh, they'll, that witch hunt, even though there's no proof, there's no... Uh, ideology or whatever behind it it's just a case of we're just going to go after that uh, and then, then there'll be just like a mass mass hysteria and next thing you know there's riots or whatever happening all over the place it's a bit enlightened view in starfleet where it doesn't actually because of picard uh spoiling spoiling uh satine's uh view of the world uh, it doesn't actually go on to uh, uh, causing a sort of like a civil war within Starfleet because of what Satine is deciding she's going to do. 
but it's a little bit like the um the idea that so this was what 1991 wasn't it so yeah we're, yeah. we're after carthy and, and and that sort of stuff but but even so this this stuff still hangs around right you know yeah. people who want to subvert everything for their own cause and aren't too worried about the fallout and just want the uh want their way to be the way that everyone else exists although you know you could also argue that's kind of what starfleet is you, you, you know there's not an awful lot of room for maneuver in starfleet rules and regs and whatever but uh, and, and they, they later on unpick that a bit don't they but written of course by jerry taylor who goes on to be the the, the showrunner of voyager for a few seasons uh, and uh, she says this was her favorite next gen episode and because uh, last week of course we did counterpoint with sarah uh, so there's some some common sort of themes for all that aren't there and uh, yeah i think i yeah as, I was just going to say, look, counterpoint, as I'll put it, it's checkpoint on all the social media. Right, so I do apologise. <laughs> I'll get round to one day changing that. Um, yeah. Just talking of um, Americanisms of this, so the uh, Simon Tarsis at one point invokes the seventh guarantee of the Constitution of the United States, uh, sorry, United Federation of Planets. That's a very fifth amendment, wasn't it? The the USA was really shining through there on on that bit. Uh, but I really like that as an idea, not necessarily that it's the same as the USA, but the idea that you know these these fundamental principles are built into well most nation states systems. This idea that these, <laughs> these fundamental principles are built into all of our uh, constitutions, be they written or unwritten, and you can't just get rid of one the point at which it becomes inconvenient. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a bit of an echo down to well, any moment in history, I guess, but particularly the stuff we're living through at the moment. You can't can't just get rid of these fundamental parts of the way our civilizations are built, uh, just because at a certain point in time they're not they're not suitable or you know they're a bit awkward. Uh, and I love that idea that we're all constrained by the rules. We all have to tussle with our place within the rules. Um, and you know what? There's a there's a version of this story where Satie's right. You know, where Satie you know, does uncover a, a conspiracy, and and you know, and how do you find that point at which it's okay to keep pushing, um, uh, and the point at which you have to stop? I guess in a way, this this story is a little bit about counterbalances, isn't it? You know, Picard is the buffer against Satie. Uh, I sometimes wonder what would have happened if this had been a different Federation starship without Picard. Yeah, de definitely. And it's, it's interesting because at one point um, when Picard says, you know, these hearings are coming to an end now and I'll take it to uh, I'll take it all the way to Starfleet if necessary. And, and she comes back, you know, with a, a logic counterpoint. Oh, well, actually, I've already uh, already been to Starfleet and they're actually on my side. But it's, it's interesting how how much control of the situation Picard like thinks he has there you know he was going to stop it he was going to basically override her as an admiral it, it reminds me of the bit in um uh where, where they're going to take data's daughter away and and he, he says there about you know you'll ask a man to surrender his child to the state not on my ship yeah i i guess that when this when your starship is in no man's land out there in the universe the the ultimate authorities is the captain isn't it yeah i agree entirely and um and i think that's one of the the really amazing things about this character picard that they've created and and i really appreciate the fact that in 
the last three seasons of that new Picard show, they kind of addressed some of this stuff that, you know, he wasn't this wonderful, you know, infallible human being. You know, there were consequences to the things he chose as well back then. But but just on its own sake, you know, his his position is is really um, noble and honourable. And um, he's sort of presented as being you know, almost... I mean, it's almost, I, I get, I'll come back to it. I, I get the feeling that in this, as with almost every other thing that he does, if he wants to make it personal, he can, and he chooses not to because he wants to do things the right way. But the point at which somebody else takes the piss out of that and breaks the rules and, and is willing to make it personal, he's always got a bigger gun if it comes to it. But he does, and that, but that's that's the power that he has. He doesn't use it unless he absolutely has to. Whereas, as you said, Suki, like she's got this weapon that she's just willing to, you know, deploy at a moment's notice with her beta Z, uh, beta Z. So um, I think uh, I, 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 he's almost an unachievable type of character at this point, Picard, isn't he? Because he's too good to be true. I mean, it, it's wonderful, wonderful to watch, but he is too good to be true. And then particularly because he's in the defence of this vulnerable person, this Simon Tarsis, who I just think is a wonderful character. I'm, I'm going to go on to quote three now, if that's all right, which is uh, about Simon. It's when they're talking um, about him. He said, Admirable, Admiral, let us not condemn Simon Tarsis or anyone else because of their bloodlines or investigate others for their innocent associations. I implore you, do not continue with this proceeding. End it now. And, and for me, that's the point at which he's saying, Honestly, don't make me do this. Let's just stop it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think that is. He's realised how far it's gone. And that is his last, like, this is your last chance now. Either stop it or or there's going to be trouble. But just talking to that quote, see, that that's his opening statement, isn't it? When he first gets there, he says, I'd like to make a statement. They say, oh, no, no, no. And he says, oh, actually, under article, blah, 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 I can do it. And I think... Unfortunately, because of the later um, monologue he does at the end, this one gets a bit ignored. But this one's excellent. He spoke about Jonathan Frake's direction, Suki. If you notice this, it is a monologue. There's no cuts. It's all one take where the camera's just going round the room and closing in on Picard. I mean, that doesn't happen in in the end one. There's there's a a break to um to Riker. So, but this is this is a monologue, and it is just it's excellent. It's a, another bit that makes this this episode great. I wonder whether one of the reasons it is so great is because Frakes knows what Patrick Stewart can do, and and of course he gets Gene Simmons as an actor, so you know Kushti, um, and he just lets them do it. it. It strikes me very much like a play almost. This I know because it's a bottle show and there's no effects and it's you know all set on the ship. It, I, I reckon you could stage this as a play. It's very theatrical, mm-hmm. and I think that that, that helps it out. Uh, absolutely, it's making terrific play, wouldn't it? But yeah, I mean, Patrick Stewart and monologues are like bread and butter, aren't they? Really, it's like we all knew where that was going to go. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Frakes, excellent direction. Yeah, um, but anyway, I said I'd talk about Simon Tarsis because of that because I just think he's great. I think I think the actor does a really good job as well. He's sort of rabbit in a headlights, quite subtle, I think. Maybe maybe not, but I th- I think he is, and um, he does a really great job. Um, I said to I was ex- uh, exchanging some tweets with um, I think it was uh, Dave Dave K about this, and I said, "Oh, I wonder what happened to him after this episode." He's and, still um, Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, so he gets he's he's the um, he gets in books. They use him in books quite a lot. Yeah. So 
He's on the uh, Esri Dax's starship in, in a series of books. He's the chief medical officer, which so apparently in that book or some of the other books, they say he gets um, uh, like suspended for six months. But then Picard sponsors his place at the Academy uh, and, uh, and he goes and becomes an officer, which I think is lovely. I mean, it's so good. I was just going to say, we have this sort of same sort of scenario in uh, Prodigy where there's a character, I think there's a character on there which knows that they ain't going to be uh, accepted in the Federation uh, into Starfleet because of their origins. So this one, again, uh, you've got Santos, he's saying that because he's a Romulan, uh, Romulan ancestry, he, he knows he, he, he had to lie to get on there. Was it? No, it wasn't Prodigy. What I'm talking about? It's um, oh. Oh. Strange New yeah. Worlds with the uh, Una. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, you're it, right. yeah. It's but both, it, isn't there? Yeah, it is Dahl as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're right, and that that thing about his his paternal grandfather or whatever it was. But and then there's that whole mirror with Worf as well about Worf. Worf took his dishonor. This doesn't come long after Sins of the Father, where he finally gets where he gets dishonor, uh, discommendate, discommendated, discommended. He has his discommendation. That idea there, and, and we got a hint of it, didn't we? Like we already talked about, where where they spin it around and and Sabine goes after Worf. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to mirror what you're saying, really. Yes, yeah, Simon Tars is such a lovely character, and yet acted precisely how you need to. I don't know if they employed the guy for his. He's sad, frowning face, but he's or it's an easy acting that, but he's certainly got acting chops there. You can't help but feel sorry for him. And that I, I love the way that um Picard just comes to he, the protection of his of his crewman, you know, t- takes him to uh tea in his ready room and he's uh chatting to him. And it's it's lovely. You you'd really want um Picard to be your captain if you was uh if you was on a spaceship, wouldn't you? I'm always fascinated by the, the like. How does that happen? Does like Picard just buzz him through and go, "Ah, oh, Mr. Tarsus, why don't you come and join me for tea?" Or, or like, does a yeoman invite him, or does it just show up on his iPad as an invite? How does it? Uh, um, how does that work? Message. <laughs> so, Be- Be- Beverly tried to do the same, tried to save him as well, but she because they were asking her to tell the truth, she had to, you know, literally say, "Yeah, I have seen them together in Ten Forward or whatever." Right, of course, that then gets interpreted interpreted as, you know, he is a spy because he's hanging around with a spy. And she could have, uh, Satine could have easily have also, uh, anybody else who's got like a certain uh, lie in their past could have just interpreted with that, that person as well. So Beverly, who could have uh, lied on her saying, I'm 34 instead of 33. Oh, she put the wrong gauge down. We'll make sure because she's had a word with this uh, Jadan. We'll have him. Uh, uh, I'll have her as a spy as well. And, yeah. You know, it's just one little detail. I mean, the way uh, Simon Tars has actually sat down because I didn't notice too much difference between him and the other characters. And then when this says you got uh, Vulcan history, uh, Vulcan ancestry, then you saw this slightly somewhat wrong. Not wrong. What am I saying? Slightly different about his ears. And then you mm. thought, oh right, yeah, yeah. There, there's that because there was always something there when he, when I'm watching the rewatching this episode, when he sat down, I'm thinking to myself, what's different about this person? There's something. And then it's only when they said the Vulcan bit, I thought, oh, it's his ears. It's slightly they're rounded, but you can still see the uh, the points. 
you mentioned um, Jadal there. We haven't talked about him at all. I think um, him and the wharf bit at the beginning is brilliant. Uh, uh, apart from anything else, it's the first time I remember ever seeing that sort of elbow back, fist up punch thing that he does a few times, which is just the best thing in the world. Um, but I love that whole, that, um, uh, uh, that kind of, that fake aura thing of the Klingons about them always being honourable and, and and never, you know, doing each other behind the backs and things. Look, and, and of course, Worf always signs up for this stuff, doesn't he? He buys all the, uh, next, next gen at least, he buys all the rhetoric about how wonderful the Klingons are. And he lives he lives his life like that. And every time he meets Klingons, it becomes apparent that, no, no, they're not like that at all. That's just what, that's just the stories. Like they're as, they're as conniving as the Romulans and as you know, flawed as humans. Uh, and, and I always find it interesting when he comes across a real one, and this one does it the best, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a, a sneaky duplicitous. Oh, sorry, duplicitous. He's, he's too. Yes, that's the word. A Klingon, <laughs> isn't he? We're, we're siding with the Romulans. I mean, the Klingons never do that, do they? But when they're walking down the uh, the corridor, you can see like um, Wolf is about a foot taller than him, and he's like really baiting him. He's he's saying about oh, your name is like not even ushed in in the Klingon halls of fame and that lot. He, he really bites off Molly can chew when they get into that room, doesn't he? Because I mean, Wolf is just all over him. You should not poke a bear called Wolf, should you? The bit where that bit where they are walking down the corridor, and of course we know Wolf, and we're thinking he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him, he's gonna... and he just waits until the exact moment the doors close before he launches at him, and it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> well, he has to do it like I mean, there's probably cameras left, right, and centre down that corridor. He has to do it in a quiet corner. Just <laughs> knock him out, man. Just knock him out. <laughs> um, right. I think that, so. Those are my big three quotes that cover the things that I. I really wanted to explore with you two wonderful gentlemen. Uh, what other bits have you got on your uh, on your copious notes, Drew? That was that was impressive. Yeah, I well, covered a lot of them. I get a couple of little bits though. You see, uh, we get an Oberth class starship, don't we? That uh, Sati is brought on, which I did look up. Apparently, that's the USS Cochrane, which is interesting. I also get an Excelsior uh, ship later, don't we? God, that's like a work course of the Federation. How how many years have them Excelsiors have been in in service now? It's it's well over a hundred, isn't it? Because we see them in uh in in like uh Captain Kirk's day, don't we? Yeah, yeah, and then it's got that's got my favourite shot. They use it loads. They recycle it of the Excelsior class and the and the Enterprise next to each other. And then I can never decide in that shot whether the two ships have gone their different ways or whether we're just meant to assume that it's like the cameras panned between the two of them. But it doesn't it doesn't quite work as a shot, does it? It's, it's almost there, but not quite. They use it loads. I think they use it in best of both worlds, don't they? When um, yeah. Um, uh, Hanson's ship arrives uh, and drops off Shelby. Uh, yeah, no, great. Oh, and the Oba. Amazing to see one not blowing up. Like, did we just have to drop something on them and they explode? So, yeah, yeah great. 100%. <laughs> Are you, you was talking about um, being a head teacher and at school earlier, wasn't it? The bit when um, N- Nellen comes to the bridge uh, when Patrick's shirt Picard's on there and she says to him, you know, you are uh, you are to report interrogation and you're to be questioned before the committee. And that, that's one of the moments where you get an, an excellent uh, Patrick Stewart reaction shot because he doesn't say anything. He just 
the camera's just on him before we go to the uh, go to the break. But that that bit is always for me. It always takes me right back to school. That does like when you'd be in really lot of trouble. I, I can always remember being in a German lesson and someone come in and going, Andrew Barker. You must report to the headmaster at three thirty without fail. And I was like, that that always takes me there. You know, you're in trouble when something like that happens, don't you? And and it's a, it's such a dick move, isn't it? As well, because it's about embarrassing you in front of other people. There's like there's a, there's a I mean I'm sure it's true of, of other walks of life as well. But in teacher training, you're always told praise in public, scold in private. Yeah, you don't tell kids off in front of each other. Yeah, you take them to one side to tell them they've done the wrong thing and suggest ways they could do it differently. Yeah, you don't you don't bollock in, in front of the other front of their friends um, because yeah, it just makes you a dick apart from anything else. Different yeah. area because I, I was always being bollocked in front of other kids. Right? Yeah. You must have just been really naughty. <laughs> well, it, well, what it, what it shows is uh, uh, an adult in a position of power who's lost it. You know, they just want they just want to play stupid games and and belittle their person in front of their friends. It's not about getting the right thing or or educating somebody. It's about power and 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 well, and that's exactly what Sati is, isn't yeah, she? Just exactly like Sati. Yeah, that that Nellen, you're, you're completely correct though. She, you know, she should have really done it in private. But the trouble is, and I apologise if if it's the actor's face, but she's got such a screwy face. All the way through, they must have employed her or, or put great makeup on her. She just looks so smug and superior. And she's quite tall and aloof as well, isn't she, the, the person playing them? It's just you can't help but be a, a nasty character when you look like that, can you? It's the hair that does it. The hair, the hair that just puts me off. Those, those things you focused on there just reminded me of something that... Um... Uh, Jerry Taylor, who wrote this, I think was the person who wrote The Wounded, which is the time we first see the Cardassians. These people are Cardassians, aren't they? They're presented in the same way as Cardassians. They're like, they're subversive. They're all about power moves. Um, it's like, and, and you know, in Chain of Command, where Jellico makes them wait in the conference room and play. That, that's what Satie's doing all the way through this, isn't she? She's just playing power games with him to try and get one up. Yeah. Thank you. I've only just thought of that. Mm. The the only other thing I've got really is the evidence that um, Sati uses against Picard, like was Stapel, uh and from um, the Romulan uh, and uh, the Borg and all. These are all bits that were previously on the show, so you can go back and watch these episodes. All three examples that she used against Picard were all previous episodes, so you can watch these episodes, see what, how Picard was actually uh, thinking during these I, episodes. I think Star Trek should have done that more. I know why they didn't, because you, you want to try and get new viewers in all the time and you, you want to be able to say to them, oh, it doesn't matter what you saw in previous episodes, it's always a new story each week. It was back then, right, in the 90s. But but I think they, I wish they'd done more of that, you know, saying, oh, hey, you remember what you did that last time? Or but like, like Drew, when you were saying, like Satie and, and Picard talking about the um, the, how they use their beta Zs. You know, there, there should have been more of that sort of stuff of somebody going to Picard, well, that's not what you did three weeks ago. Huh? You saying that? That's not what you... Practice what you preach, old chum. Um, but anyway, there we go. What was your last one, Drew? And my last one is we have one of uh, Worf's security team is Ensign Kellogg. 
What an excellent name that is, Ensign Kellogg. Apparently, I was I had a bit of a deep dive on Memory Alpha after I uh, saw that. So, so they're in lots and lots of episodes. It's an uncredited extra, just the mysterious Cameron that plays at Ensign Kellogg. This is the only, uh, although they've got in lots of episodes, they really are in a big list of them. This is the only one where you actually hear their name, Ensign Kellogg. I want to know what happens to Ensign Kellogg. I think we need a Captain Kellogg. And in fact, I have tweeted Mike Mahan and said, you need to get Captain Kellogg on board. So if you see that in uh, season five of Lower Decks, you heard it here first. Wonderful stuff. Um, I like to think that, um, because that's how O'Brien started off, wasn't he, as an uncredited sort of person and then and then you know seven eight years later he's uh he's on ds9 isn't he i like to think that that's how simon tarsi's he's the equivalent of o'brien right they both started as enlisted men and uh yeah yeah good all right well that's lovely stuff have we all covered our our notes now have you got any notes steve no 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 i've 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 drip fed mine in as we've gone uh, that's the great thing about being in charge isn't it you get to you get to lead the discussion wherever you want it to go so that is all of my stuff um which i think means if my agenda that i prepared is good we now go to uh listener feedback is that is that all right if we do that now let's do that now So thank you to everybody who took the trouble to uh, give us some feedback. Jolly decent of you. Uh, lovely stuff as well. Very thoughtful engagement with the episode. Uh, the first one is from somebody called Sarah. Not sure. Thoughtful and engaging from Sarah. Oh, my dears. <laughs> and she says, I think this app is Trek at its best. Proper high-level drama with superb performances throughout. When I think of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, this is the man I'm imagining. Someone thoughtful and willing to reconsider his position based on new information in order to ensure that true justice is served. This ep is a chilling reminder of the consequences of othering any group of people. It highlights that what seems like a logical thought process can turn into an entrenched position built on fear and self-righteousness. Jean Simmons is perfect for this role as she slowly turns from a reasonable and gifted litigator to a broken woman still trying to live up to her father's legacy. Just wonderful stuff from all and still feels very contemporary. A highly illuminating five lights out of five. Thank you, Sarah. Lots of very big words in there. Well, I'm quite impressed. That was good. Do you, know, do you want to know some of, I'll talk most of my notes from Sarah's feedback. Thank you very much, Sarah. <laughs> wonderful. I've, I've found that's a good position in life to take. Just just follow Sarah's lead. You won't get too much. Uh, I've got Jack McMurrow. Perhaps behind only the spot-on perfect chain of command two-parter, the drumhead might just be TNG's finest episode ever. Quite the feat. TNG had many fine installments post-season two. So when Mr Davies nominated for... It for inclusion, I was elated that I get to watch it again. It feels like describing water as wet is saying that pa Sir Patrick Stewart gives us a magnificent performance. Yorkshire might be my adopted home, but for many reasons, he makes me incredibly proud to say that. 
fun game is if you can guess my three favourite actors. Hint, all are from Yorkshire and the other two are in James Bond. Nora Sati, daughter of equally formidable prosecutor Aaron, both of whom Captain Picard deeply admires and does so when he does the right thing and questions her prosecute in this case towards the, the, towards the end of this episode. Admiral Sati is performed near pitch perfectly by British acting legend Gene Simmons. I would say given a quality of performance which matches the high calibre once set by Sir Patrick Stewart. It is quite What's interesting... It? On, sorry, sorry. I, I, I cut into you there. That was rude, wasn't it? How how awful of me. Carry on, please. Okay. Were you going to say something, though? Well, I was going to try and guess who his three favourite actors were from Yorkshire. Yeah, we'll get to that at the end of the feedback. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep all this in. <laughs> uh, it is quite interesting, the parallels between their character and the countless politicians who have got into their uh, line of work with the best of intentions. But for whatever reasons... Their tenure makes them ultimately self-serving and making life measurably worse for those who already have it awful to begin with. I want to say hi to the Home Secretary for now. <laughs> ultimately, this episode is definite, definitive proof that bottle episodes should never be written off as a mere money savers, which fill a, which fill a season order. Further examples are DS9's In the Pale Moonlight and Enterprise's Shuttle Pod 1. I give this magnificent episode a full five warp core inspection hatches out of five rating and would like to nominate it as an outstanding episode of the franchise. This really illuminates the unspoken differences between vengeance and justice. Once again, my compliments to Mr. Davis for nominating this gem of an episode. Oh, and Lower Decks Season 4, a delight. But the drumhead is spot on about the erosion of rights in the face of rampant paranoia. Cheers for that, Jack. What a thoughtful little comment. That was good, wasn't it, that one? I do oh. enjoy this one. He's always on the nose, isn't he? Very good. Yeah. Are we going to discuss his three favourite actors? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, well, he's got well, so Patrick Stewart, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I don't know then. I'm guessing because she's vaguely posh sounding, then um, Gene Simmons. Is Gene Simmons from Yorkshire? Was she in Bond? I don't know, but the, the hints are all are from Yorkshire and the other two are in James Bond. So if Patrick mm. Stewart has not been in James Bond, so that's number one, and the other two are in, are in James Bond. So Yorkshire actors who have been in James Bond. French, who plays Sabin, is he in James Bond? I'm that, sorry. Google. Bruce French, the guy who plays Sabine Sabin, is he in it? Is he in Bond? I'm going to Google it as we're talking. This is, this is good radio, this, isn't it? Mm. Listen to somebody Google something. Well, <laughs> well, tell you what, while you're Googling that, yeah. If you're Drew, you want to carry on with the uh, the next bit of feedback? Yes, I will do indeed. So this next feedback is from Dave K. And they have to say, I was very excited to hear Steve had picked this episode, as was we all, as it was as it is one of my all-time favourite episodes of Trek. Indeed, in my office at Parliament House. I have four quotes from sci-fi next to my desk and Picard's speech from this episode is one of them. There are so many thoughts and lessons and ideas in this, but none of them weigh down a tense adventure. The episode does a fantastic job at creating real characters with very little dialogue, 
When I first saw this as a young teenager, I really felt for Simon Tarsus, and I still do. I hope this career wasn't destroyed by this. So much more I could say, but I'm sure you'll cover it well. Five Lights, a classic. Villains who twirled their moustaches are easy to spot. Those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged. Thank you yeah. for that, Dave. And uh, Dave, as Dave says, uh, there is, um, he did send us a picture of um, the quotes that are on Boy's desk. And the other three quotes are from Andor, one's from Doctor Who. In fact, I think there's two from Andor. So the, and the, the fourth one was uh, Picard. So uh, if Dave wants to work around put, tweeting that off his own timeline, by all means, if not, I'll uh, I'll tweet it off uh, the Star Trek, uh, the Trek This Out one. Yeah, they're great quotes, and and he made a good point that I don't think we really picked up much on, which was despite all the all the moral weightiness of it, it was a great story as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, good on you, Dave. Well done. Uh, okay, so I get to read Deb then. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, because uh, if I did it, I'd have to put on a voice, and I don't think we want to uh, listen to one of my screechy old voices again, <laughs> even though it's probably superbly like Deb's voice, actually. Uh, there's a small chance she had a few glasses of champagne when she wrote this as well, isn't there? I've not read it yet, but uh, yeah, she okay. She probably had a few glasses of champagne and a few other things as well, seeing as you should be Jason Isaac. But, uh, let's carry on. Hello, hello to Jason Isaac. Right, so uh, Deb says, Hello, greetings from the land of Belgium. And I and I'd Suki does a silly voice for this. Who do red shirt? Oh, if I think she means if. And if Suki does a silly voice for this, do that's why she's on. Or she, that's why she's on the champagne. She can't even spell correctly. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. Sorry, you start again if you want to. No, no, no. This is all good. This is good yes, content. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll bang. I'll leave it in. I did the same to you as well. So you know, it's, it's a good precedent to set. Um, it's been a glorious but mad weekend. So only had chance to skim the drumhead chilling and way too close to reality cng is great at these types of episodes and a number of politicians should watch it i just had <laughs> yeah i just had some champagne for breakfast it's a hard life so that's all i can manage at the moment off for a walk with the others jason isaacs is lovely smiley face smiley face smiley face love heart love heart love heart and then she closes with sort of miss you deb um and and, and then she's put a, a great picture of her and uh, the the sainted Jason uh, with a I think a wand is that is that yeah. a wand she's got Harry there? Potter Harry Potter yeah, very good um, Malfoy yeah uh, he's playing um, Cary Grant soon isn't he that's coming out uh, in a bit December. Isn't it? yes mm. yeah Looking forward to that I mean, anyway, we must have a Jason Isaac news even if Deb's not around so thank you for putting that bit in Steve <laughs> I wouldn't dare not to. Uh, Team basements right. are running, uh, running riots in Belgium. That's all I can hear. That's all I've heard. Like, and there's loads of photos on there. Just uh, Google hashtag Team Basements. Awesome. Uh, so I think that just leaves us two very important jobs to do. We we have to light this episode up, although I don't think there's much of a challenge in doing that. And uh, we have to redshirt somebody. How many lights you see? Yeah. Oh! I asked how many lights you see. Uh, Suki, do you want to give us your lights, first of all? Well, this is a superb episode, and 
for an episode that I haven't seen in nearly 40 years, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, um, I think it just holds up well. So I'm going to give this five lights out of five. Yes, excellent. Uh, Drew, what do you want to do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Star Trek courtroom drama, but it's the courtroom drama episode to beat all courtroom dramas, isn't it, really? I've often said to people, especially I've got a friend who hates all sci-fi and he, and he knows that I love Star Trek so much that he's quite often winds me up about it. And I've often said to him, if these stories, if they wasn't on a starship, but they was on like a, a sailing boat or something... You'd you'd really enjoy them if they didn't have any aliens and sci-fi. And I think this episode, if this was on on a, a sailing ship that had, had some uh, accident, you, you could do it, couldn't you? And I know he would love it. So it's brilliant. It's the episode to show someone who says, "What's Star Trek about?" You show them this episode, and so it's an easy five. Yeah. What you do? Yes, well done. So what you do? You know, earlier on, we said this was a play. You put this on as a play, but take out all the sci-fi elements and just set it on a ship and then invite your friend to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, gentlemen, I, I thoroughly endorse your, your comments and also award this five uh, out of five. Um, uh, bottle show, uh, saved a whole load of money for them because it was cheaper to make. Uh, but it just goes to show if you write a good script uh, and put it on, uh, then, uh, then they'll come, uh, and and indeed they did. Uh, this is absolutely wonderful. If 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 you don't, don't like this, then I can't think of any Star Trek that you're going to like. This is Star Trek condensed to its purest form, distilled uh, into neat Trek. So uh, yeah, five lights out of five. Oh, and I, I remember thinking, I wish that quote from Satie. I wish that was a real thing. I wish I could go around quoting it to everybody. So, as as Eisenhower said, uh, he should have done. Um, so yeah. Five out of five. So, so I make that everyone's given this a five. Hey, we didn't get a uh, a rating from Deb, but um, I'm sure she would have said five as well. But yeah, that's all fives all round, isn't it? Have yeah. we had an episode do that in the past? Uh, don't think we ever have. We've always had the odd four point five snuck in for a really good episode and stuff. But I don't think we've had a five out of five. See, the, the trouble is, I, I guess, it's because we're picking, like, the best episodes, aren't we? They're all going to go high. What we need to do is, like, Code of Honour or something next week. Or, or perhaps not Code of Honour, but Shades of Grey, maybe. <laughs> yeah, really put the cat amongst the pigeons. Excellent. That's, this is what I'd like to do, is get people on just to talk about an episode that might be controversial. So if anybody's out there and wants to come on just to talk about an episode where uh, opinion is divided, maybe, come on, we'll discuss it with you. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Yeah. I think Code of Honor would be a step too far, though. That would be, be like, wow. What's that, uh, what's, what's that one with uh, uh, Andrea and Devils used to, and Lindsay used to be on about with Beverly and a ghost and a candle yeah. or well, well we can discuss that. It's Subrosa, yeah. yeah. The trouble with that is, though, it's, it's so bad that it becomes good, isn't it? It's literally one of the episodes like Spock's brain. I quite like Subrosa because it's 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 so bad that it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm doing a few um, original series rewatches, and um, some of them, like I watched The Cloud Minders the other day, and I quite enjoyed that one. Which, um, uh, but then there's one. 
is it is it uh oh, is it requiem for methuselah i think and and um kirk is a real bounder in it like i i love kirk prime kirk i think is amazing um uh, and i think he gets a bad press but in that in that episode he's all the bad press that, that he gets <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear right so uh hey straight back to original series see what i did there because now we get to red shirt i woke up this morning put on my red shirt oh um so we will start with uh drew who are you gonna red shirt I would say, you know, I always talk about how much of an amicable podcast this is and how lovely everyone is, and this is a terrible thing. I mean, it's even worse this week. There's absolutely nothing in it, is there? So I'm going to have to make it sucky purely because Steve has beaten you by suggesting this excellent episode. So, sucky, I'm afraid you're my red shirt. Disgusting. <laughs> absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Who are you going to go for then, Suki? Well, I was going to go for Steve for doing such an excellent job on the uh, the podcast. Uh, but then I thought to myself, well, Deb's the one that's dropped out. So Deb should have been here to help, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also thinking if Deb was here, there'd be loud more editing. So now I'm still going to go with Steve for doing such an excellent job. All right, it puts the rest of us to shame. Apart from Drew, because Drew's always excellent as well. Even though he just nominated me, the swine. Well, no, this this is a beautiful, beautiful thing because uh, what I will do then, out of principle, if nothing else, is I will nominate Drew so that we all equally um, uh, shoot each other like that, like um, Spider Man meme thing where they're all pointed at each other. Uh, that, that's what we've done today. So, uh, for form's sake uh, uh, and for justice rather than vengeance. Uh, I will I will select uh, Drew and we can mutually annihilate each other. But how do we do that? What, how do we how do we equally um, uh, end each other's uh, red shirt existence? How, what's our method? Well, I was going to suggest before you, you said equally mutual destruction that may, maybe one of us could be a conspirator that we could have uh, got Sati into a. Uh, to get her on the case, but yeah, now, now we're all against each other. Mm. Maybe, well, difficult, well, isn't it? This is it. She, Sati, is on a witch hunt, so she'll start off with the one person, right? So Steve, the host, and then she'll go for everybody else, right? Yeah. So we're all uh, right. in her, in her, well, under her gaze. Yeah, we're, we're all, all done by uh, Rear Admiral Nora Sati. Excellent. What a way to go. <laughs> Well, that's tremendous. Um, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure sharing this episode with you. Um, thank you for all of your thoughts and comments and for everybody who messaged in. Uh, thanks for those as well. Um, all that remains is for me to say uh, thank you and good night. Uh, I'm sure Drew and Suki would like to make some sort of gesticulation or noise to wish our viewers and listeners a farewell. Before we do that, just oh. to let you know that we are going to be recording our Doctor Who episodes because they will be starting, the uh, David Tennant specials will be starting towards the end of November. So I think that'll be our next episodes. So please do look out for them and we shall be asking for feedback on those as well. So please do get in touch on those as well. Please, please.
Yeah, and I'm just going to say thanks, Steve. You've done a wonderful job. And like everyone said, you picked a wonderful episode. No, no, I, I wasn't going to say that at all because I, I said it earlier because I wanted him to be red shirt. So why, why am I going to, I'm not going to repeat that. Steve, just finish the episode off now. Get off. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Laters. Bye.